I think today is one of those days for me that uh, I think maybe uh, Kate and uh, Richard will attest that there's a time in the life of a preacher when you really don't know what you're supposed to talk about, and so you are allowed to rant. So I'm ready to rant. <laughs> it's going to be something that you just speak and speak until you're tired. Partly it's because the readings are pretty intense. One of those readings, one of those punchlines of Jesus' teachings. But also because today we commemorate the life and the ministry of Absalom Jones, who, which his actual feast falls on February 13th tomorrow, the day when he died. And there's so much go is going on around this world, and so you're like, I'm just going to go and rant on and on. But talking about the life of Absalom Jones, whom we commemorate in the Episcopal Church around this time, yesterday we attended a diocesan service at the Cathedral of, uh, of John the Divine, and it was such a beautiful save. So many thoughts and memories were flashing through my mind as we went through the service to commemorate that man who made a huge difference in the Episcopal Church and in the life of this country and the world. The brief part of his story is that he was born in slavery together with the whole of his family. So they were owned by an individual. They belonged to an individual. As black people, they were enslaved by another person. And the, the, their slave master somehow sold them to another slave. I just want you to see the slavery was real. And so they were sold into another family, so in Philadelphia. And that was in the 1800s, rather in 1700s. And he was a member of the Methodist Church. And uh, they, when he came to Philadelphia, their master allowed Absalom Jones to study. And he learned how to read and write. And he did quite a lot of reading about the New Testament. In fact, history has it that he, find, he found so much you know, uh, identity and empowered by the New Testament. And so, as a black slave, he grew in the church, in the Methodist church, and began to evangelize and began to propagate the emancipation of the slaves, proclaiming that the slaves should be set free. And of course, he grew in that church and he had his friend called Richard Allen. There were two of them leading kind of a black, a group of black people, you know, trying to proclaim that they be set free. And then somewhere there, he, they were evangelizing and the number of black people in that Methodist church was growing. And that unsettled the white folks in the church. They became so agitated by the growing number of the black people in the church. 
And one day, I think it's in 1787, they decided the church vestry, not like our vestry, our vestry is good. The vestry of the church met and said, we are not comfortable to meet with these black people. And they became an, and they made a resolution that they should not be part of the regular gathering or sitting. And so, without any notice on Sunday like today, they were told, Absalom Jones and your clique, your group, you are, you're going to worship, you're going to sit somewhere upstairs in the gallery, not in the congregation. So they were segregated because of the color of their skin. This is in the church, by the way. This is a resolution that is made by a church committee that these people are not worthy to sit with us. And most of them who owned these slaves were in the leadership of the church. Strange, right? That people that are seated with the Bibles next to them and the cross in front of them and the altar ahead of them could still make a decision that these people are not worthy of our fellowship. And they literally made a decision to segregate against them. So Absalom Jones and the team exited the church. They protested that we can't sit in the gallery and so they left the church and of course they went to gather together and started uh, their own community of black people and Richard Allens went on to start the African Methodist Episcopal Church which was an independent church full of, full of black people but pretty much more like a protest because the other group has chased us from their fellowship, so we start our own, and that's how the African Methodist Episcopal Church began. But then Absalom Jones persisted in wanting to be part of the church. And later on, he applied to the Episcopal Church to be allowed to be part of the Episcopal Church, which was the Church of England, in essence. And so he was allowed in and then ordained as a deacon. And then it took seven years for him to be ordained as a priest. Usually it would take about one to two years, no more time frame, for a deacon to transition into priesthood but I guess they were trying to frustrate him. I guess they were trying to just make him feel unwelcome. But he held on, persisted for seven years before he was ordained. And, though he, and then he became the first black man to be ordained priest in the Episcopal Church. And that's how the Episcopal Church commemorates his life, his ministry, and he continued to do so much work, especially related to the emancipation of slaves, literally buying back their own freedom. He bought the freedom of his wife, Mary King, literally proclaiming that we need to be free. 
But what is so amazing about Absalom Jones was his resilience to still hang on in a society that seemingly didn't welcome him. The resilience to hold on and to believe that God will still work in this community. To still believe that God will still show up and, 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 and see them through. To wait until he was ordained and wait again until he was made a priest. The resilience, the belief is what sets him apart. The decision to really hang in there. And today, we have hundreds of priests like me who are ordained in the Anglican Church, the Episcopal Church, because of the touch-bearer, Absalom Jones. He was a forerunner for all the people that are marginalized but now the church begins to recognize them. If he was not strong, if he was not resilient, probably he would have quit and moved on like what Richard Allen did. But he insisted, I'm going to push, I'm going to speak it, I'm going to say it, I'm going to sing it until they recognize the dignity of all human beings regardless of their skin color. That was the man we commemorate today. I also think that in life, the greatest challenge is decision-making. I consider it one of the greatest challenges, the decisions that we make every day. Life is all about decisions. Every day we have to decide. Every single moment is decision, decision. We, we decide what to put on. We decide what to eat. We decide what to do. We decided to come into church this morning. We decided to work up. It's a very challenging activity that we do every day, consciously and unconsciously. Every one of us. In fact, life runs on the wheels of decision-making. Every day we are deciding and we are rolling on. We are rolling on because we are making decisions. And yet, it is the decisions that have brought us this far. We are a consequence of the decisions we made or the decisions that were made by people that have a direct effect on us, such as our leaders, political, economic, or church leaders. And so everything that we are today is a result of the decisions that were made. And so today I want us to begin to interrogate how we make decisions. To begin to interrogate why we are where we are to take some time and look deep into what is it that drives our decision-making? What is the motivation? What's the influence in the daily decisions that we make in life? What's that one thing that drives us crazy that we have to make big decisions? 
There are so many objectives in our decision making. Is it about ourselves, which is what is common. Most of the decisions are about me, myself, and I. It's all about my happiness. It's all about me. It's all about my comfort. It's all about, so everything we decide has to make sure that I am secure, I am safe. What's the motivation? What's the drive? What's one thing that really makes you get up and walk into church or walk to work? Is it just the outside, the people around you? I don't have an answer, honestly, but I'm just throwing this to you so that we begin to interrogate how we make our daily decisions. Because the impact of those decisions cannot be underestimated. We can choose what to decide or what we are deciding on, but we can't choose the consequences of those decisions. And that's why I just want you to begin to pay attention on how you make your decisions. Like that vestry decided that they don't have to fellowship with the black people. And Absalom Jones decided the opposite. That I will hang in, I will be there, I will dwell in there and fight for my identity and fight for my integrity and fight for my dignity. Decisions, decisions, decisions. By the way, one of the most sacred gifts of God to every individual, every human, every person is a gift to make decisions, to make choices. And that's so sacred that God will not interfere in your decision making. He can offer things like now we read he offers life and death blessings and cases. He offers everything, but he still awaits your decision. Even when we go back to Genesis, when Eve and Adam had, were being tempted to eat the fruit, people said, where was God? Why didn't he intervene? Why didn't he stop them? Because he had sacredly given them the ability to make a decision, to make a choice. Every time, even when we invite God in our lives, he is not coming to run our lives. He is not coming to manage our lives without our permission, without us saying, take over my life, help me. And that's why we pray in the morning and every time. It's a well of saying, come on and be part of my life. God respects our choices, our decisions, and he will come to support us when we invite him, when we choose to have him to be part of us. We need to begin to sit back and interrogate and just question ourselves, what is it that drives me? to do the things that I do. Of course, I'm talking about the bigger decisions that you make in life, the bigger decisions that you have to do. What's the force 
in our in today's collect there is a line that got me interested that says it's in our collect of the day in our weakness we can do nothing good without you give us the help of your grace that in keeping your commandments we may please you in will and deed. I think as people of faith, we must come to a point where we, have, where we make our decision clear based on the desire to please God. I would call it the decision that gives birth to every decision. It's the decision, the choice to please God. A choice to please him because he is our maker. The choice to make because even though we have got a free will, we are answerable to him. We must declare every day of our lives that I want to please you in all my life. And that decision alone has got power to help in the way you decide every day. Because if you want to please God, then you won't hurt another person. If you want to please God, then you won't be, you won't be hating. You won't be trying to destroy another person. If you want to please God, you will want to love the people that God loves. You can't the preacher yesterday told us that we need to begin to interrogate these claims we make in Christian like, I love you. You can't be saying, I love God, and then go in a vestry meeting and then do the very opposite of your proclamation. You can say, oh, I serve God, I love being in church, I love communion, I love our hymns, and yet you are harboring hurt against another. You can say, I love God, and yet you do the very opposite. We must choose to please him. And it is that choice that helps us to love what God loves. It is that choice that helps us to do what God would have done to another. We begin, you see, sometimes it's weird to think that we can make choices that only please us. You see, decisions are very, very, very critical. I said at 7.45 that there, even, there is even a lot of commercial benefits because of decision. People have formed companies which we call insurance companies. Insurance basically is to say, we know that you don't know what might come of your decision. But in case your decision turns out bad, we'll be there to help you. So basically, the insurance companies are there to to take care of your decisions. That you decided to build a house and then they say, yeah, it's a good house, but can you please insure it so that in case it breaks down, we will be there to compensate you and to help you rebuild your house. But then the question is, who is the insurance of your decision? Who will be there when your decision fails you? Who will support you when your decision 
don't work out. And that's where God comes in. God is a good insurance of the decisions of those who choose to please him. What comes to my mind is the story of the Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel. When they decided to please God, those decisions led them into the fairy finance of fire and into the den of lions. But because their decisions was to please God, God became their insurance in the den of lions, in the fire furnace. You know, when you live to please God and that decision ends you into trouble, God will be there to safeguard you because you are trying to love, you are trying to be kind, you are trying to be generous, you are trying to please God. God will defend such decisions. And that's why we are not worried. Because even if our decisions lead into death like it did for Jesus, there was a third day when Jesus, when God, whom, who, was, uh, who was instructing Jesus to die for us, he was there for him. He brought him back to life. So if you say, I want to please God, it's like buying you insurance. So that when things don't work out, you say, you know you were there when I started this. <laughs> when things don't work out, you can say, God, I, 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 at least I called, I asked you to be part of this journey. And God will always stand with us like he was with Absalom Jones. At the end of the day, Absalom Jones was not just a victor, but he managed to bring consciousness into those who make decisions. The church ended up opening up and ordaining him up and then the rest of us are following because he made a decision. People made decisions to make black slaves. We need to make those decisions against us to reverse the decisions made. We need decisions that are against that. Beloved, this world will change when we begin to make our decisions to the glory of God for the sake of the one who created us. It is decisions. Look at how countries are destroyed. Ukraine is being destroyed by decisions. We cannot underestimate the power of decisions of those who have direct effect on our lives. All I am simply saying is that this body, this community is here to please God. And whatever pleases God, we will go for it. Whatever pleases God, we choose to go with it. Because then we have God with us in our daily decisions. The question is, who influences your choices? Who is a force behind those daily decisions that you make? Amen.